Over. Season 3, Episode 7 is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps, talking about the penultimate episode of The Leftovers. The second to last episode of The Leftovers is here. It's upon us. And now to talk about it, to break down the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother is the person who some people on Twitter often say is my twin brother, my identical twin brother, Antonio Mazzaro. Antonio, how are you? I love my brothers, but would that that were true, Josh. Would that that we were actual brothers instead of brothers from another mother's. Yeah, no. If only we had our biometrics so aligned. (laughs) <laughs> Let's not. Uh, we're going down a dangerous path here, sir. <laughs> the lengths that we might go to to prove this relationship. No, are very no difficult. one's going to that length, Antonio. Are, are th- how did we know that we would start right in on this? There is a, a, a wonderfully devastating and fantastically powerful and uplifting and all of these emotions episode of TV to talk about, Josh. How dare we uh, take it right to the gutter? Because it is the funniest thing that The Leftovers has ever done, as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) It is just so funny. It's so meta. And I think after just how devastating last week's episode was, to get into the unique biometrics of it all, Antonio, to turn a phrase, is just fantastic. It's just like, this is the thing. We've talked about this before on these podcasts. Uh, I think we said this on the most recent podcast, our feedback show for last week's episode for Certified, is I think that when The Leftovers found levity, The Leftovers found itself. And I think that The Leftovers found its greatest moment of levity in this episode, in an episode that takes place after its darkest episode ever. It really, really tickled me, and I really, really needed it. So just spectacular stuff. Great episode tonight, Antonio. I'm going to leave the tickled me aside. I'm not going to go down this road. I'm not going to go down this road. Uh, Yeah, I completely agree. When you say penultimate episode is... Uh, penultimate episode is this? The, yes, it is the penultimate episode. Oh, Pen, stop it, it, yeah. stop it. So yeah, ultimately, it, really funny jokes. Like there's a lot of meta in this episode, but the leftover somehow manages to be meta and be funny and find itself in that regard and still be incredibly powerful, so intelligent, so self-referential yet self-analytical. Like there are these things that are going on where it's self-aware, even though it's in this mode. It's just really it's. It's hard to talk about how layered this show is. We do it a couple times a week here at postshowrecaps.com, and we're going to do it with this episode a couple times this week, including tonight. But really, it's just the the it, you talk about three dimensional or four dimensional chess. I don't know what dimension we're at with the leftovers, but it is really, really phenomenal stuff. Really great stuff. So we're going to talk about tonight's episode, the second to last episode of the leftovers ever. Uh, Don't say it, man. I know. I know. It's tough. It's tough to say. But, I mean, what a great episode of this show. Uh, We went back to the International Assassin Hotel universe. Uh, I don't know what we want to call this thing because there were no hotels really involved as far as I was uh, tracking. Unless you want to say that this was what? Like some tropical paradise hotel, some resort that, uh, that Kevin lands in with the BBA at the beginning of the episode? You're telling me that wasn't the island from Lost? Maybe it was the island from Lost. It's not impossible. I think it's entirely possible. Yeah, it reminded me of Skyfall. James Bond is just like recuperating on a beach somewhere and he's got like a cabana and he's doing all these things and uh, doing shots with scorpions on his hand at night. Like right. it looked like the kind of place that an international assassin would be holed up and hiding out, uh, laying low, uh, waiting for the moment to come. 
So it was a great episode. We're going to talk about it all. And certainly thematically, I think uh, a very exciting episode. I think it's something that teases up for the finale in a really, really cool way. I've been banging the drum, Antonio, of positivity on this show, of building towards at least a happy-ish ending. I feel really good about that leaving this episode. I feel like we're still on track for that. I'm curious to get your take on that. We're curious to get everybody's take on everything. We're going to have a feedback show later in the week. Uh, It's going to come a little bit sooner than it usually does. We're going to be recording this on Tuesday morning, bright and early, so you have a limited amount of time to get your feedback in. So hurry up with that feedback. Let's get that going. There's a couple of ways that you can send your feedback to us. You can go to postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form, or you can email us. Leftovers at postshowrecaps.com is our email address. And of course, you can always tweet at us. Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. I am at Round Howard. Uh, any other methods of uh, delivering information our way, Antonio? Send a carrier pigeon. That's look into, a, look into a, a shard of glass or yes. a mirror, and then you will become us. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, earpiece, if you want to communicate via earpiece, that yeah. will work. If you the want return to deliver of it, David Burton. How about that? Yeah, God. God is here. God, God is welcome. Is back. Yes. Yeah, deliver it through, deliver it a speech. Like if you want to communicate with us via teleprompter, that would be okay. Teleprompter would be great, actually. I could use some of those uh, teleprompts every once in a while. You're not podcasting via teleprompter? No, I'm not. This is all uh, This is all just from me looking into the mirror and then hopping into your brain. And anything intelligent that I say, I'm just divining from your head. Oh, well, this isn't good because I'm doing the same thing. <laughs> well, but vice versa. But this with you, bad. yeah. We have bad. to get out of each other's heads. Yeah, we can, uh, we can talk about this. We can talk about which one of us is the senior and which one of us is the junior. Are we two halves of the same Kevin? But... Josh, I think we have we have talked about a lot, like what's going to happen if we go back to this universe, if we go back to the hotel, as we've talked about, or back to this world. Which was inevitable, if, right? It was I mean, inevitable. Like, you right. and I agree that this was going to be something that we were going to go into, and I don't think that that requires much of a leap to expect that after the International Assassin episode of season two and the fact that Kevin himself gets thrust back into that universe after he's shot by John Murphy in the season two finale. That really opened the door, I think. You and I both agreed at the time that this is a this is a section of the world now. This is a place that exists in this universe of the leftovers, and the odds of coming back here are so high. So of course we were gonna come back here. Of course we were, and the longer we waited to do it, the more we knew I think it was going to happen. It just seemed like, oh, we're, we haven't gone back. We haven't referenced it. We talked earlier in the season with Kevin putting the bag over his head, and was he trying to force his way back, or was he even going back? And we didn't know what the stakes were with that, but it, it certainly seemed like that was part and parcel to his experience there. And I really liked how throughout the course of the season, and it really came to a head last week, of course, in that wonderfully poignant conversation Kevin has with Laurie on the steps at the ranch, which is about how Kevin really felt alive when he was in those moments. And he's been chasing that feeling in many respects with putting the bag over his head. He just wants to feel, he wants to do all these things. So it not only became inevitable from a meta standpoint, from a what we know about the show and what we think about the show from a construction standpoint, but it really feels inevitable from a character standpoint. Like once you go to that world as Kevin Garvey, once you experience those things, there's literally no way you're going to be able to just put that on the back burner, not really think about it, not really want to go back there again. That was a very momentous thing that could happen in someone's life. And so I like that the show made that feel like the reason we're going back there is not because the show wants us to go back there. The reason we're going back there is because it makes sense for Kevin to want to go back there. No, um, you know, this is a place... 
that he felt very invested in. And I think he, you know, he's talked about it. This is the place where he feels the most alive. Uh, you got to see that. You got to see where is Kevin Garvey the most alive. And you got to see. And I think that there's a confidence to his return to this universe. When you see him, like, he's a little unsettled. He's getting his ass kicked when he first lands. And the BBA shows up in epic fashion. Oh, my gosh, yeah. That's I mean, wonderful. Talk about, uh, you know, the we, we've been talking about the big, bald asshole, but he's like the, the big, badass asshole in this, in this scene when he's showing up like James Bond with the parachute and he pulls the hood off and everything. A great return to form for the BBA. It was really spectacular to see him here. But after Kevin gets over that initial shock and he's talking to him in the cabana, he knows everything that he needs to do. You know, he's like lining up all of the shots. He's really talking very confidently about exactly what he needs, who he needs to talk to. This is what you need to get me. And even before that, even before he plunges into this universe, Antonio, there's two things. One is he straps himself to the seesaw and doesn't even bother to wait for Kevin Sr., for right. John and Michael and Grace to wake up. He's just going in with no guarantee of who's going to pull him out of the lake he's just going in and just that's the faith he's got in this situation and when he is brought out of the lake he's talking about yeah yeah yeah, i've got this i've got this i've got this you need the you need the song you need to tell evie that you love her you need to know about the shoes can you put me back in the lake there's just a confidence about kevin going back into this place that i think is attributed to a man who knows where he wants to be and i think by the end of this episode we finally see a guy who realizes maybe it's not where he wants to be i think it is where he wants to be ultimately but i think even more than that he knows where he needs to be and that's in the real world that's out of this place i gotta nuke this place i can't come back here yeah and i'm not sure that there is a because this is the thing that is kevin's awareness of the world that he's part of that's very it's almost meta there's a lot of meta in this regard in terms of kevin analyzing his role in this thing and the story that's being told there being a, a metaphor being connected to a larger story but i don't know if there's a such thing as meta meta but the idea that the show itself is confident the show itself knows that it needs to nuke this world and nuke that part of this world and move on and and recenter the the final stakes on this emotional level where it has been in the past, as we've talked about every season prior to this, and that's only two, of course, but every season has ended with these moments of Kevin feeling at peace because he's got connection to a family. That is a thing. So recentering those stakes and doing it in the way that they do, it really is, it's a meta-meta thing. It's that Kevin's story and his confidence in going back to it and understanding the stakes and understanding or finding the rules of it very quickly, even though he doesn't understand like why he's there or what he needs to do to leave, it's very much in keeping, I think, with the show understanding this is our last stretch. This is what we need to do to get where we need to get to. And this is what we need to confront in order to move the story forward. And this is how we have to handle it. I just think that that's fantastic. I think, it's, as I said, it's so layered. It is, uh, it is just a thing within a thing within a thing. Um, there's, there's the inception angle of that sort of thing. But more, more than that, it is really just so, so meta and so wonderfully meta because there are emotional stakes. It's not devoid of those things. It is meta meta. Like it is just fantastic how this show can use Kevin and Kevin's story 
as a conduit for how it feels about its own story and how it feels about previous things. I, there, it's impossible. I joked earlier about how what's at the Lost Island, but it's impossible if you're a fan of Lost and you know Damon Lindelof to not think about how this show represents him processing a lot of that and what the ending for Kevin Garvey means for Damon Lindelof and for Lost and all of that. So I don't want to get too far into that except just to say it is really, really, really impressive to me uh, as a work of fiction what this show is able to encompass and yeah the length that this show is willing to go to (laughs) you just can't let that die can you no you can't and nor should you nor should you nor should you it is uh it's a really fantastic thing uh that that is in play here and there, there are a lot of jokes like that right there are a lot of back references jokes to previous things you mentioned the bba showing up like james bond the big bond asshole but he shoots the whoever that guy is that's trying to take kevin out shoots him in the same way the bba was taken out headshot yeah. from yeah. a distance yeah it looks very very similar to the way that the bba died too like i'm i'm sure like if you did the side by side they would look really really similar the shots of the shots uh, yes so that's that's fantastic stuff it's just great to uh to hear kevin garvey referred to as kevin harvey i just i don't know why that still gets me but there's just something so absurd about this universe there's something so absurd about the international assassin world that kevin harvey exists in that the literally the only difference in name is the g to the h it's just great like this this russian assassin going kevin harvey is just spectacular and to see president harvey was pretty fantastic as well. Uh, and I know that Alex Coons must have been thrilled with this episode because this was literally Kevin Garvey in this is effing stupid mode. Yes, he absolutely is. is he outright totally says in that, that again. Yep, yep, <laughs> he does. Yep, he does. And we are reminded of the, this is Kevin Garvey at his uh, resting state. Like he can reject these things and he will reject them. But what's fascinating about that is by the end of the episode, of course, he's literally reaching into his own heart to try and excising to re- that aspect of himself. Yes. Yep. 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 He's embracing the stupid. He's, he's embracing his heart. It. Yep. Yeah. So it's really phenomenal. And look, I don't want to spend the entire episode just gushing, but we're probably going to because there's just so much that this episode does that that hits on not only the leftovers levels, but just hits on the the levels that only the leftovers really fully confidently is able to occupy. It is a. It is a thing where I feel like last episode with Laurie, even though it was emotionally devastating, we haven't seen the the full, we didn't see, we didn't get the chance to see, we had to go back and think about everything that we knew about Laurie Garvey and what brought her to this moment. And did it feel like she was doing this because it it was the end of the series? Like, it, did this feel like an end of the character just because it was an end? That's the analysis we're undergoing. And I, I think we came out on the good side of that. But that's the question we're asking this time. Those questions aren't there at all for me because this felt very much in line with what we've known about Kevin Garvey, with what we should be asking ourselves about Kevin, with what Kevin should be asking himself. I love the moment, the come to Jesus, the come to Christopher Sunday moment, when Christopher Sunday's like, you don't believe this, do you? Like, right. you, So why are you here? What are you right. doing? And I just love that Defied Kevin my himself. my expectations, by the way. I mean, I, I came into this episode fully prepared for the God's Tongue thing, right? You and I have been talking about that for a couple of weeks now, that this makes sense. This lines up. This would be a great great scene we've seen kevin senior in this world via television like we we have the capability for junior to convey information from this realm directly to the mortal realm through his father so it makes a lot of sense that he'd be able to convey christopher sunday's song through this world 
and that doesn't happen. Like Christopher Sunday is just not interested in it, and it turns out that Junior is not that interested in it as well. That was a, a real subversion of expectations for me. Yeah, and I love that the show is able to do that because it was a so it was a subversion of expectations in some way for Kevin. Like I'm not sure he had really thought about that, but he when he thought about it, I, when he comes to as you point out the first time when he just charges headlong on his own and puts himself with a some kind of sandbag or weighted bag into that uh, the teeter totter into the pond, and then he wakes up and he's dragged back inside. It seems clear to me, look, he is going to help these people that he cares about. He's going to do all these things for them. He has their agendas nailed down. He knows exactly what they want and what they need. And when he first comes back, he's like, listen, I, I, got take, I took care of your thing. Uh, and then I took care of your thing. But I was still working on your thing. So send me back. Like he's going for that reason. And it isn't until he goes back that second time that he really takes a step back and is like, wait a minute, this is about me, not them, and my desire to keep going here. And he's reminded of that throughout the entire episode, Patty especially playing a key role in that. I love that he has to guess who his Secretary of Defense is, and he basically summons Patty yeah. by bringing her name up. I love that. I also love the uh, the full circle quality to that. Uh, I got to interview Justin Thoreau about this episode, which was such a delight. It was really, really fun to talk to him about this episode, and that's up on THR.com. Uh, and he talked about how there's like truly like a, a, a friendship between these two characters, and there's a real poetry and a real beauty to the fact that Kevin went to this world for the first time to put Patty out of her misery. I mean, really to get the monkey off of his own back. But right. to really, you know, ultimately what he discovers there is to put her out of her misery. Yes. And I think when he's coming to this world, it's like he when he comes back, I mean, um, you know, he he likes the monkey on his back. He loves this world. This is something that makes him feel special. This is something that makes him feel unique. This is something that makes him feel like he is powerful in a way. Uh, and I think he's been we've seen him trying to access this world for a while now. And I think that he, you know, whether knowingly or unknowingly, he summons the person that he sent off to basically help send him off and basically help get him back on the right track. So there's a symmetry to the Kevin and Patty relationship here that's really paid off in a really rather brilliant way, I thought, with the return of Anne Dowd here, where she seems antagonistic in a lot of ways. But in my estimation, it really turns out that nuking this world was the absolute right thing to do. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And I is that antagonistic like with ANM like is it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but I will no. say if I have a criticism, uh, Antonio, it's that I wish that Ann Dowd and Liv Tyler both had not been credited in the main credits. I do think that that uh, that tips things off a little bit. It does. It does. People know right away that that's happening. And we didn't get that from everybody, but it's still something where once you do that, that it, it's it's on I the surface. I appreciate like the, you know, the respect nod, right? You know, yeah, like probably some been... stupid lawyer screwed this up for everybody and required yeah. it be put into a contract somewhere that if they appear in the episode, they have to go into the credits. Blame lawyers for all yeah, the world's problems. The that's what I would do. lawyer who is saying these things, I trust your opinion. Yeah, in case anyone's listening and doesn't realize that, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm self-hating. But I also really like, when you talk about the symmetry something you were saying really struck a chord with me that i love the symmetry because the moment in international assassin uh, that is the most poignant to me or, or when the show when that episode really takes the emotional turn and and goes from wow like gobsmacked like floor a uh, jaw on the floor this is incredibly crazy wonderful didn't, uh, moment. kevin garvey gobsmack something i'm sorry <laughs> sorry i'm out of here we didn't get to the gob point uh what i would say though is that 
is that that the moment where that turns is when you when he has the sensitivity when he realizes the child is Patty Levin when he goes when he has that conversation with Neil in the hotel hallway and Neil says some terrible things and Neil's like I'm dead and it sucks and all, half the people here don't know what they're doing the other half are crazy people like you so it really is terrible and then he's like wait a minute you're Neil that means the girl with you is Patty and then he starts to take sympathy on poor Patty and young Patty says like my father threw me down the steps because he said I talk too much she's wearing a sign she's being called a fat pig and I think Kevin is finally able to see the humanity in Patty Levin which of course he never saw when she was ghost haunting him or when she was trolling him as the GR he never took a step back and saw the humanity in that he never saw he never had compassion for her and so when he really has that it, it is the turning point for me in that episode that takes it from like you know 100 out of 100 to like 300 out of 100 in the moment in the, in this episode with Patty or the turning point when you realize that that it's her and it's about him that also is key but i love the cyclical nature as well of kevin and kevin senior and i say that because in the garvey's at their best season 1 episode 8 or whatever when senior is lucid and cogent when he's having his uh, man of the year award dinner the surprise party he has that private moment with junior where he says listen this is enough Happiness is enough. Your family, the things that you have, you've built a good life. That should be enough for you. You shouldn't feel like you need to go. And he doesn't say this, but the unspoken part now is you shouldn't feel like you need to go to another world and do all these other things like this. The happiness of a loving partner and the family that you have should be enough. And that that's ultimately one of the big messages from this episode. And it's fantastic because it's Kevin Sr. being crazy and pushing Junior to go find some crazy MacGuffin song that causes Junior to have that epiphany ultimately, that drives him back to this universe, that causes him to start looking into it. And he walks away, I think, with the idea that, yes, this is enough. I screwed that up. I had a great thing, and yeah. I, that's what I left behind. And it was my dad in season one, episode eight, who pointed that out. That isn't brought back. Back for Kevin, but that's that's in the show. That's in the thing. So I love the idea that it's Senior and his madness who drives him back to a place where he ultimately walks away with the idea that Senior, in his most lucid moments and cogent moments, already fed to him. And I, I just I think that the leftovers is so fantastically smart about how it is aware of the stakes of these characters and the arc of these characters. I just there are not too many shows that have these building emotional and narrative consequences where these characters are not on a straight line. They do communicate in helixes and zigzags, but they end up at a point that makes a lot of sense when you look back. There's uh, so much to talk about from this episode. I don't even really know where I want to go next. Like, I have two prominent thoughts in my mind, so I'm just going to lob both of them up there, and then you get to tell me which one you want to follow down. But one of them is the fact that we did not see Lori in this world. Uh, Lori was not spotted in this world. And this is a world where people who die are, you know, who have been killed on the show, who have died on the show, typically show up. We did not see Lori Garvey in this episode. We did not see Lori in this ethereal realm. I'm just wondering what that means. So that's thought number one. Thought number two is, man, you must be so happy, Antonio, that the world did not end in this episode. Like, we survived the seventh anniversary of the sudden departure and the floods did not come. The rains came and they passed. And Kevin Sr. is on the roof 
just like the disciples of Millerism yes. at the beginning of this season uh, and is afraid to come down. And Junior is up there as if he's like, it's going to be okay. Uh, the apocalypse did not come, which you know kind of confuses things a little bit going into the finale, but it's also very exciting. And I, I have to imagine for you, you're very, very happy with that outcome. Of course I am. Yeah, and I don't I'm not this is I don't want to make this about me, but I'll say that wh- why I was always concerned about that is because this version of the world is the world of the leftovers. We had some crazy event, and yes, there are 2% of the things that can't be explained. And yes, there are people who are pursuing this end of days fervor such that they're going to nuke a volcano to kill a egg that a dragon's going to emerge from theoretically. So there 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 are those people in the world and yet this world works so much better on this smaller level on the emotional stakes of the characters level as it always has. I don't mind that we introduce a concept of lens and we talk about the demon Azrael and we have those people in this world who are pursuing these things. There are thematic to explore through that. Yes, and and that has always been the key for me is the thematic resonance on the characters themselves in this world, and that's always been the home run, like hammer throw, like uh, Olympic record, like version of this show where it achieves the highest. uh, Mjolnir. No, not Mjolnir. Like only one person can pick that up clearly. Uh, But yeah, that's where the show has always succeeded on its highest levels. Is on that level. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we don't need to... Uh, yeah, the, the, Mjolnir is a different dog. thing in this episode, yeah. and I know that you're totally in tune with that. Uh, but yeah, Justin this is Thoreau, a... yeah. <laughs> Does that make Senior Odin? Like, yes. is that what's happening here? So, yes. uh, who is Loki at that point, then? Oh, my God, who's Loki at that point? Patty um, Levin, probably. I yeah, imagine. I think so. And She's then, the goddess when Loki of and Thor, When Loki and Thoreau team up, then that's ultimately <laughs> where... We have the best versions. Of Antonio, I can't wait until our uh, our retrospective award show, looking back at all of the leftovers, the Throners coming up uh, in just a few weeks. Don't promise something you don't intend to deliver, Josh, because <laughs> I'm here for that. I'm here for that. Yeah, I just feel like the show has always done better on this level where it uh, where it is resonating and with the individuals in the story because we were introduced to this world where this crazy thing had happened. We did all the world building in the pilot, but it was very much about how these individual characters were living in that world. So it wasn't for a show that has always said kind of in the in the background that they're not going to answer how the departure happened or why it's not been about that. So it's never been about that level of it. And I like that even in an episode where you're you're the heaviest in terms of the mysticism of the leftovers, you're still centering the stakes on the emotional stakes for these characters. And that's something that's really, really resonant for me. So I'm very glad that that didn't happen as to why we didn't see Lowry. I don't know. Is it they're because, keeping it vague, huh? Like, is it because we'll ne- they're ke- we will yeah. never see Hyde nor hair from Laurie Garvey again, is my guess. Did we ever see Hyde? We saw hair. Uh, <laughs> come on. Come <laughs> we've on, seen the Thoreau Hyde. I'm just saying we've seen the Thoreau Hyde. Uh, yeah. We didn't see it this episode. But, I think. right, like, we'll, we'll move on with the story in such a manner that I think that we'll never hear about what yeah. happened with Laurie, which, which suggests, it suggests to me that we probably won't get much from Tommy or Jill again either, I would bet. That uh, seems likely. I, I think to bring them back into the story, you would have to address that. And I think if she doesn't show up here, that suggests to me that the show wants us to draw our own conclusions about Lori Garvey. 
I believe they might say, "Let the mystery be." Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so too. And the fact that the fact that Kevin himself didn't know she was dead, you could read into that as well. Kevin right. is manifesting this world. It is very much about a man at war with himself in this episode. So if that's the case, then if this is a world in Kevin's mind, in Kevin's mind, he doesn't know that Laurie is dead. Uh, he doesn't know. Like I don't know contemporaneously where we are with what might be happening with the machine, with Nora and Matt. I don't know if at this point Nora or Matt would have gone into the machine if neither of them would have but the fact that neither of them were in the universe either I think we could chalk up to the fact that Kevin doesn't really know what's happening he'd seen pictures of the kids he knows what Evie is like he knows what uh, what he I don't know he I maybe had seen the body of uh, of Melbourne Kevin of Australian police officer of Captain Kevin I don't know uh, but he did end up in this world I thought that was great by the way that we saw him as like the secret service agent, I'm not going to get hung up on too much of the. Uh, I didn't mean to emphasize that word. I don't know what's happening. Uh, I'm not going to get hung up too much on the fact that. Listen, how is an American president launching nukes from Australia? Why does he have an Australian secret service agent? It doesn't really matter. I, I'm 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 just like embracing what was happening with the show in the context of the episode. So I really did love that. I also loved, by if the way, if only you could travel back in time and tell the Antonio Mazzaro who is podcasting about season two of Fargo, those uh, those very words. Tell me again. Because <laughs> I already forgot. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's fantastic that Patty, when you speak of the apocalypse happening, that we do get that. But Patty, in a very meta way, is like, let's give the people what they want. They want a big apocalyptic seven years. Like, this is what people are anticipating. So let's give them what they want. I love the, how, how meta that is, right? Like, because that is the show saying, I know that we've talked up the seven-year anniversary. I know we're not going to deliver on it. So we're going to find a way to deliver on it and talk about how this is the way we're delivering on it through the Patty Levin character. I just, I love that. The, I, I guess I maybe, if your mileage may vary, if you're not as all in for the meta stuff as I am. But for me, that was fantastic. I thought that was really, really great. What did you think about bringing Liv Tyler back in this way? Bringing Meg back in this way? Meg is dead, or at least if you view uh, you know, this universe through Kevin's estimation, then he truly believes that Meg is dead. But Meg shows up as Kevin's vice president here. Did you think that this was a fitting send-off for this character? Uh, it was okay. I mean, it, there wasn't enough. I like that she came back to the story. I do appreciate that. That, of course, if you're building a guilty remnant uh, administration with Kevin Garvey, these are the key players that he would bring into the mix. It is interesting, of course, that Laurie wouldn't be part of that, but he doesn't know Laurie's dead. So it makes sense that Meg would be there. I did think that the vice president was going to be Laurie and we were going to explore that. I, I certainly assumed that until the very moment we saw Meg that it was going to be Laurie. So it was a little bit of a swerve for me, but it's a swerve that works. It makes a lot of sense. And she dies in the context of this universe, Joshua. What does that say about her that she gets clipped like she does? Kevin, Kevin? As, as an assassin, just has no mercy, you know? It's like, this is what I'm saying, though. He he throws himself into this world. He throws himself into this... I was going to say it, but you're fine. In, ...into this universe where he is just... He's here. This is where he lives. He yeah, lives live here, here now. now, you know? And and this is this is his element. This is his realm. Do and, you do you make anything to the fact that in in season 2 in International Assassin, he yeah. kills Patty Levin twice. In season 3, he kills Meg and he essentially kills Patty. Does he feel internally responsible for their deaths and is that why he's always killing these particular characters in this story? 
I also think that a guy who gets killed as often as he gets killed, although I guess it, it doesn't totally line up, but I wonder if this is a guy who has, like, a really effed up sense of mortality. You know, this is a guy who could very easily just have, like, a screwed up sense of what is, you know, what what really are life and death stakes uh, for a guy who can't be killed. But, you know, his first trip to the to the hotel, he doesn't really understand any of that. No, he doesn't. And he does kill Patty twice in that episode. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's carrying around guilt over killing Patty or feeling like he's responsible for her death. Uh, keep in mind that Kevin is a guy. He's a police officer. He's supposed to uphold the law. And he's a cop. And then when he goes into this dream state, he's a criminal. So he's behaving like a criminal when he should be behaving like a cop. And I do think that he probably feels on some level, like as a police officer, as like a person whose job it is to stop these sort of things, I didn't stop what happened with Patty. It happened right in front of me right. after I personally had dragged her to this place. So he probably feels responsible for the Patty. And that's one of the reasons why she haunts him. Him. And I think he probably feels on some level responsible for Meg as well, because it was ultimately I, we don't know. And I don't we never will know. Did Was he involved in calling in the strike? Uh, was he did he have any role in that whatsoever? It doesn't seem likely. It seems like it happened right after our boy gets shot in the stomach. I the only yeah. reason, I, yeah, the only I, mean, reason he, I bring it up is because in season one, he's offered the opportunity to do that to the guilty remnant in Mapleton and he passes it up. Well, I do wonder. I mean, he's the president of this universe, at least one of his uh, one of his identities. And we really ha- haven't even talked about the the doppelganger aspect of this episode too much. Uh, but you know, one of his identities in this universe in this episode is he's the president of the United States, and the Evie of this world is blaming him for drone strikes. Yes, and she is occupying the role in the red shirt. And remember, I remember of the protesters that Kevin clashed with in the River Jordan. And the first episode of this season. So she's wearing the red shirt. She's acting like that. She's saying, like, I'm a reminder of the people that you've killed. And yeah, like it was not it was not the guilty remnant that was wiped out by that drone strike, according to Evie. It was her whole family, her mom and dad and her brother. So it is uh, it is interesting that Kevin maybe feels like he caused that loss for the family by taking out Evie either directly or indirectly. Again, I think he might just feel as a responsible person who is often tasked with being the adult in the room, as we see him doing at the beginning of this season, he probably feels that deaths that have occurred on his watch, quote unquote, are maybe ones that, that he's carrying around. This watch. Uh, yeah, it's like, I don't know why I went to. Uh, Pulp Fiction mode there. Up his ass. Yeah, like, oh I don't know. Like, I don't know how that happened, but uh, yeah. It was like, that was a fire. Uh, yeah. yeah, so Little I don't man. know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but, but I do think he probably feels responsible, and that's another reason why these people are occupying the roles that they are, because he feels like he's responsible for their deaths, either directly or indirectly, uh, especially with regard to the GR. Uh, was there anybody you were surprised we didn't see other than Lori? Uh, didn't see other than Lori... We get a Holy it, Wayne in, in season in yeah, season two. That's no fine. Holy Wayne in season we can, three. We can leave that be. You know, we got we got what we needed. I think. I mean, we got the BBA. You know, we've got Michael Gaston is back in this episode, and no one parachutes like Gaston. I will say. <laughs> uh, you know, he, it's such a great entrance for him. It was was really fantastic. Um, we get you know Australian Kevin, who was an all-star in this episode i mean i really can't say enough like the potty humor notwithstanding it was just such a funny scene and the line delivery of that by the way australian kevin the name of that actor is damien 
Garvey, uh, which I I just Damian think Harvey. No, I mean Garvey. This oh, is okay. uh, this is RV with a G. Uh, you know that's just fantastic. <laughs> that's just so spectacular. Uh, so Kevin Damian Garvey is a is a thing that exists, and his just you know talk about eye acting. Some excellent, oh no, it's in my notes. <laughs> some excellent eye acting in that scene was just yep. spectacular. Uh, yep. I I remarked to Justin Thoreau that the Foley guy deserves a raise. Uh, if yeah, you, what was that sound? I, <laughs> what, what what was that sound? It was like a. It was like a meaty slap. Yeah, yeah. He says, uh, you know, when I brought that up with him, he cracked up and he goes, was that like lunch meat that they were just like slapping on the thing? Is it a ham? We. Why do we keep coming back to this? Let's go to another. We cannot keep. We just keep going back to this. It's so funny. It's so funny. This Because like it's I think it's a funny gag, but I really do mean this that I, I think that. When The Leftovers decided that it could be a show about grief and inexplicable loss and also be funny, uh, I think is when this show really figured itself out. Like yeah, that was yeah. From the jump, Antonio, you go back and you listen to those first podcasts that you and I were doing about this show. It was like, I'm intrigued. I'm interested. I love Damon Lindelof. I like but a man. lot of these actors, but it is not funny. This show yeah. is taking itself so seriously. Can't somebody crack a smile? And I don't know where that exactly turns. You know, we often say, like, it's around the time of the guest, the first Nora Durst-centric episode, where the show really discovers some personality. Um, but certainly all throughout season two, uh, it's been it's been like that throughout season three. I think once it, you know, really gets that sense of humor is when The Leftovers really take off and i think after an episode that was as dark as last week the you know sort of the whimsy that's involved with this universe this underworld you know this uh this international assassin universe i think there's just something so absurd about it that for me after i was you know left reeling by last week's episode of the left you needed a funny gag you really did. You yeah. needed a few, and there certainly were a bunch throughout this episode. And, and I like, laughed. I laughed because I have a funny gag reflex. Uh, <laughs> when I when I see a funny gag, I can't help but respond. And so I definitely laughed. Uh, let me ask you this. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to derail this with uh, with with really ridiculous puns. Yeah, um, yeah. What do you make of the fact that David Burton is the boss uh, and is uh, he jokes? I don't about know. It. Speaking of funny gags, uh, he sa- she says I'm in love with a uh, a very fa- you know I'd say I don't believe in love and they don't feel pain. I feel pain and I'm in love with the most wonderful man I've never I've ever known. His name is God. Yeah. And David Burton's like tell her I love her too. <laughs> yeah, but before before Kevin rips the bug out of his ear before yeah. he removes the voice of God from his his head the voice of god tells him it was just a line to pick her up uh so this is the voice of david burton admitting to kevin that i'm a fraud bro i was just trying to pick up Liv tyler you know? well it's interesting because the i guess i hadn't really thought it through but it's david burton in international assassin who is the bridge man who gives kevin these uh the advice and now we see the lost in translation moment where apparently what he told kevin at that time was you are the most powerful man in the world right and then it is him again and i live here now who, as the karaoke master, essentially tells Kevin, sing for your supper so you can go home. So both times previously, it's it's David Burton who is pushing Kevin into a position where he gets to his end game and takes himself out or gets himself home. And he's occupying that same role here. 
But it's really Patty, who is the quarterback, who is getting the ball across the finish line or across the goal line, if you will. It's really her who Kevin has summoned to do this job for him, to help him realize you have to put yourself to bed in order to put this universe behind and in order to really emerge from here as a person who doesn't want to come back here. And that is interesting to me, that it isn't God, it isn't some manifestation of God or some people, what some people believe to be God that causes these moments of, uh, of clarity for Kevin Jr. It is ultimately himself and what he manifests through himself that is what guides him out of this. He wrote the book. It wasn't someone writing a book about him. It was his untitled romance novel, which walked himself out of the position that he was in and got him where he needed to be. So I think that that's a really fascinating way to, to, to do the third rule of this, to, to bring the third thing home. It's David Burton. It's David Burton. Then it's David Burton into Patty. And ultimately it's Kevin. I think that's really powerful. What do you think of this book? You know, the romance novel that Kevin ultimately reads when the two Kevins are sat across from each other. And also just the conceit that, like, in order to set off all of the nukes, you have to, you know, you have a volunteer who's got an implant in their chest that you have to remove and then you can do the codes. Like, it's just so much fun. Um, but what did you think of this of this novel as it's being read? The ending of the book is being read from one Kevin to another and it's essentially about a guy who is in love but sets out to sea and sails off on his own because the love is, like, too powerful to bear. I mean, that really is Kevin in a nutshell and certainly the Kevin and Nora relationship in a nutshell. Yeah, I'm wondering, do you think that Do you think that, that is how the show's going to end? Did we already get spoiled on the ending of the show? Is We talked about how we want some kind of happier ending for the show, bittersweet at, at worst. The, the, the floor is bittersweet. The ceiling is whatever our heart could imagine at this point. But if the floor is bittersweet, could the bittersweet part be Kevin goes, he tries to connect with uh, with with Nora again and he isn't ultimately able to connect with Nora again and that's the end of it uh he sails away on a ship I think that um it may have tipped its hand only in so far as I think reconciliation is on its way like I feel more galvanized than ever that we're heading towards a happy-ish ending and I think that it's going to be less ish than maybe I expected I don't know I'm feeling like we're going towards happily ever after to some degree uh is that wildly optimistic of me after an episode like this I felt like this episode with the fact that Kevin wakes up to where he really is and what he really should be doing and the fact like what am I doing killing myself over and over again? Why am I not just living in the world? Why am I not chasing after the one thing that's tangibly awesome in my life? That really screams to me that he's going to go in pursuit of that thing. Oh, I agree. But I, I guess I guess the ending of that untitled romance novel seemed to me like the end of The Great Gatsby to an extent mm. where there is this contemplative... Well, we know that Kevin loves to die in the water. <laughs> Well, that's what I mean. And there's <laughs> yeah. this there's this yeah. thing where it's like, you know, it, it, it is like a couple years after and there are all these things and it's a lot of self-analysis. Yeah. And I just the end like the the boats against the current born back ceaselessly into the past thing. Like Kevin is always trying to repeat or do these things over again or he finds himself in the same patterns of behavior. I found myself thinking about how it's interesting that he reaches this epiphany about Nora and he reaches this epiphany about his own life, as you've just talked about. 
And on the steps with Lori last episode, the last conversation he had and probably will have with Lori, they are swapping secrets and they're saying like, hey, listen, I, I was pregnant. She's telling him her deepest, darkest. And he doesn't say to her at that point, he says, I hated our house. But he doesn't say, I was cheating on you in the moment of the departure, and I was mid-coitus, and the person through which I was in flagrante delecto with disappeared. So he doesn't tell her that. I mean, it's probably not the right time, and the conversation's mode is not that. But this is a Kevin who even then, even before all these crazy things happened was running away from his life, was running away from himself, was doing these things. And so I do worry that the ending of the show could be something in line with the ending of Unfinished Romance or Untitled Romance novel with the idea of The Great Gatsby, which is that you can push forward, right? Or you've got all these things, you're believing in the green light at the end of the dock or whatever, but that it is ultimately going to elude Kevin, that he's not going to be able to do it because he's he's against the current. He's pushing against that. and He's always going to be pulled back into these modes i don't know i just think that it's possible that we could get a a finale that finds kevin trying for this thing i mean is it is it too far gone did he did he cross the rubicon in this regard uh speaking of bodies of water when when he told her like go be with your kids who disappeared like you go do that was that leaving too much to repair I do think that we did not condemn him enough for that a few weeks ago. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we did not give him enough lashings for that. We did not give him enough guff. It was a terrible thing. Like, everyone was really awful and just, like, very dark in that moment as well. But it really took Kevin saying to Kevin in this episode, we effed up with Nora, for me to really fully appreciate the gravity of, like, you know what? Yeah, man, you were a real dick. <laughs> you were so mean. That was so mean. But I really loved like the self confession of that. You know, I loved the the self admission of yeah, that was an awful thing that we did. Is it too late to to repair that? Is it too late to make amends? Possibly. Uh, very very possibly it is. Um, but I think that there could still be some reconciliation and it's still, you know, a happy-ish thing. You know, I think that there can still be some coming to terms with each other, you know, some some measuring of, of the equation and some balancing act that I think that can occur. Certainly we've seen with Kevin and, uh, you know, his other ex, uh, with Lori, that they were two people who were able, despite the fact that they were no longer together, were able to still find love with each other. They were able to find a version of love. It was a, you know, a more platonic love than it was a romantic love by the time that their, uh, their journey ended together. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's something that, that ends up happening with Kevin and Nora. Like, Kevin could run into Nora at some point in the future, and Kevin has a new person in his life, or Nora has a new person in her life, and there's just a, uh, you know, a settling down of the rifles or the swords or whatever on the battlefield, and measuring each other and seeing where each other are and having that affection and admiration for each other. And I could be really, really satisfied with that. But in my heart of hearts, Antonio, I'm just going to root for the full-on romantic ending. Uh, you know, to, to to have the whole international assassin universe culminate in a romance novel um, was just spectacular, and I'm I'm hopeful. You know, for for Lindelof, who is a guy who seems to me to be a romantic at heart, especially given the ending of Lost, I think that there's a real opportunity to do that in a really really poignant way. That's both both you know. Kind of just, you know, surface level satisfying where it's just like, yeah, these two people who have great chemistry on screen and are both very charismatic and I really want them to be together. They get to be together and that's just like immediately knee jerk satisfying. But also I think that there's a lot of story reasons why 
that would be great. Why that would be satisfying. Why that would be a really compelling, good ending to bring this thing to. So, so let's know. talk about from from. We're from about a, a week away from finding out, right? Yes, yeah, give or take about like what uh, six days in uh, twenty three hours, twenty two hours, yeah. something in there. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about that for a second, though, because you you make an interesting point about the story, and I know you're talking about the story of Kevin and Nora and the characters. But let's talk about the narrative that they're building with Kevinism, with the Sarah Durst future version, which we assume. Uh, I think we have continued to assume it's the future version. It could be something related to the machine. We haven't spent a ton of time uh, or lip service or even a brain service working into that. Let's assume it's the future. She denies knowing Kevin much in the way that uh, that Peter denies knowing Jesus, I think. Is it possible that Kevin and Nora reconcile? They're living off the grid in Australia. And the big part of the reason why they're living off the grid is, listen, Kevin did uh, no matter how you slice it, rise from the dead again, right? Like he drowned himself multiple times. He was brought back in front of Michael, in front of uh, in front of John once, and it's going to happen. Like they were there, like Jesus's followers at the tomb, waiting for him to arise. They were asleep when it happened, unfortunately. But are they going to continue Kevinism at this point? And is it possible that in the future world, Kevin and Nora want no part of yeah, Kevinism? Yeah, totally. I was but just going to go there. Yeah, yep. I th- I think that could be like you could the the shoe could drop. That Sarah Durst, who wouldn't even be calling herself Durst necessarily when she's being confronted, do you know? uh, Sarah Harvey. Yeah, does the name Kevin mean anything to you? Could just be like, no, because she's like, ah, shit, she's on to us. Yeah, we're caught. Yeah, we're done. Because like Sarah, and if you want to call Kevin Harvey, like if you want to say Sarah. Harvey Harvey. (laughs) You know, the Sarah and Harvey Harvey show, (laughs) you know, because it's like, hey, I think that, you know, someone is uh, is on to you and he's trying to get off the grid as well. Like you could see that swerve for sure. Is that Harvey Levin or Harvey Kevin? Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, so that is possible. I think that that's possible. It's maybe like we're putting a little bit too much of a bow on it, but it, it struck me as likely that Kevinism in that far into the future, the way that religion spread, Kevinism wouldn't have spread worldwide. It wouldn't like it wouldn't be like Kevin was the ultimate savior of the whole world and that he was the Messiah. It, like the way Jesus would be in most countries in the world, there are people practicing Christianity. It wouldn't be that way with Kevinism 20 or 30 years in the future or however, however much longer that was uh, that we saw wearing on Kerry Coon's face as Sarah but I think it's possible that it would have grown in Australia, at least, and that it would have grown in those areas where it started, where it was born. So that at least seems like it's potentially part of it. And if that's the case, even if Kevin's not involved at all, it makes sense why Nora wouldn't want any part of that. Yeah. Because it is something that she's rejected. She wouldn't want the association if she gets written into the book of Kevin. I mean, at this point, it's not a spoiler, spoiler to talk about the title of the next episode, is it? I, I mean, you go for it. Just say it. It's called the Book of Nora, right? It's called the Book of Nora. So that means I think in part it's going to be her story, but we've already seen the Nora-centric episode for this season. And the in the Nora, in, there was another episode, of course, with G'day Melbourne that was Nora and Kevin. It seems very possible this finale is going to serve as both of those characters, and that would be a way to do it. So it just uh, it's interesting to me because we talked on our feedback show this week about how we needed some resolution with Nora and Kevin, that we weren't done with that story. 
story, and we certainly needed that. It certainly seems like we're going to get that, and we're getting there in, in just a way that only the leftovers could have gotten us here. Like Kevin, it took Kevin going to the other world, going into multiple identities, meeting up with himself in a undisclosed bunker with the Secretary of Defense, Patty that Levin, you can only and, access with yes. your unique biometrics. Yes, and the code Kevin six nine six nine. So or whatever it was. Uh, so this is ultimately all that we went through to get us to this position where Kevin realizes like, ah, yeah, that in good day, Melbourne, I really screwed that up. Right. <laughs> I really screwed that up a few episodes ago. Yeah. So it really feels like we're going to resolve that story. How we resolve it. Uh, that's where the sauce is made, I guess. The, uh, the international assassin universe is nuked by the end of this episode. Are yeah. We the done? fight club ending fight club ending, right? It's over. Where is my mind? Indeed. I'm surprised that that wasn't playing given its history on this show. Uh, do you think that's it? Is that lights out? Are we done with this world? Kevin certainly seems to be done with this world. We're done with this world. We're done with this world. We're done with this world, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, we nuked it. We literally nuked it. Or as the uh, the BBA says, he says, of course he says, uh, nuclear. <laughs> he doesn't yeah. say nuclear. He says nuclear. <laughs> That's uh, a great touch. I didn't good notice Good little that. character note for That's the really BBA. That's really funny. That's uh, great. Yeah. So, yeah, we nuked it. It's done. Like, that is uh, metaphorically or thematically or whatever you want to call it. That, that universe is over. Kevin, in that universe is over. What I take that to mean, Kevin can die now. Huh. Well, I mean, you've been worried about this, man. Like, you've been really nervous that we are building towards the death of Kevin. And this was the episode where certainly his father and John and Michael were, and and Grace were really, they had a lot at stake in sending Kevin to this place and getting their answers back. And it seems like they got all of their answers and Kevin made it out okay. Are you still worried about the final fate of Kevin Garvey? I'm less worried now, for sure, but it does concern me a little bit that he's nuked this universe. The thing is, I would say he is probably very cognizant of the fact that if he were concerned at all about possibly dying, if he were to go back there, that he may have killed the universe, that he literally reached into himself, fixed a part of himself that was problematic, reached into his own heart and found this truth, found the key to unlocking this thing, and blew it up. So once that's done... Look, if you look at what Kevin did with Patty in International Assassin, right, he helped her through. He helped her transition into this other world, and it was only once he'd done that that he was able to move on. He now has helped himself uh, transition out of that world, and thankfully he came back alive. Uh, But my concern would be that he's done the thing now. He has no reason. He has no unfinished business there. So if he goes there again, it's finished business. That would be my biggest concern. And I'm not sure that that's something that we're going to back reference or we're going to do. Uh, but that could be another explanation. We, we had tracked all along that maybe Sarah Durst is upset in the future. Maybe her, do you know the name Kevin, is anger because all the craziness surrounding the potential of Kevinism killed Kevin Garvey and that he became a messiah because he died. But I like the version more where he's an accidental messiah. He didn't want to be Kevin, Kevin Christ. It just happened. And he, doesn't, he wants to hide from it at this point. I like that version a lot better than that Kevin Christ died to fulfill the prophecy of Kevinism. I'm not that worried about Kevin Garvey anymore, to be honest with you. I think that this, um, in fact, I think that this episode, in a lot of ways, provided like all the closure that we need with this guy. 
Um, I think that this episode... And so you're not worried about him, that we've wrapped his story in that regard? No, because why kill him now? Like, what point does it does it serve to kill this character off unless we're doing the six feet under thing and we're just, like, checking in on everybody's futures moving forward? Like, that, fine. Like, that I can, that I can buy that something happened to Kevin along the way, but, like, I'm not nervous about him in an extraordinary life-or-death circumstances way anymore. I think that... I think that Kevin has found his answers in a lot of ways. I think that he he has found that I am a guy who runs away from stuff, and I'm a guy who often feels more alive when I'm dead than when I'm actually alive, and that's effed up. And right. that's and that's effing stupid. That's the stupid thing. And now that's over. And is it too late to fix things with Nora? Maybe that would be unfortunate, but it's totally possible, and you can understand it from Nora's perspective for sure. <laughs> I mean, she wanted to be cremated. She's about to get into like an incineration right. box. It might be too late through no fault of Kevin's, other than he pushed her to it. Right. So I mean, like that could still be the case that there's just you know there's just no way to really fix that. Um, but I also think he wants to be stuffed. Right. Well, I think that like emotionally we're stuffed with this guy. Like I think that we we figured it out. I think that he figured out what his journey is. I think he figured out that. I'm supposed I'm not supposed to be here. I'm supposed to be there. I'm supposed to be with my people. I'm supposed to be in this real world, living a real life, being with my kids, being with the person I love <laughs> if I can fix that. <laughs> being with my kids, the kids that he left behind and uh talked about Nora instead of Jill when the last scene he had with her, if it's the last scene. Still fingers crossed. Yeah, but you're talking that about one. that as though he knows that. And you're you know, Kevin is not omniscient. He's not the writer of this story. You can't condemn him for that. That's a ridiculous thing to condemn him for. I I'm 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 not condemning him. I'm condemning the people who are in control of what Kevin Garvey sees, acts, and does. And they're the, the ones who, yes, they're the ones who put him in that position. And look, that the only criticism I'll have with that is I we found that wonderfully poignant moment where Lori talked to Jill and 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 Tommy in the last episode, and it was that ultimately that a lot of people who listen to this podcast, a lot of uh, people out there in the universe, I know people writing, people commenting. People felt like that was representative of her finding peace, knowing that her kids were okay. It just doesn't seem like like Kevin Garvey is fully cognizant of the fact that he's about to go down and go down potentially for the final count that the world's about to end. He can't even call his kids like what's going on there. So I understand what you're saying about him finding his peace in terms of knowing that it's important for him to reconcile or fix this thing with Nora or what he had with Nora was when he had a really good thing and he needs to get back to that and he shouldn't be a coward and he shouldn't be terrified of her and he shouldn't run from crying next to her and all the things that he needs to do which by the way is a two-way street because she didn't open the door for a lot of that to happen but that is the the epiphany that he has i don't think his family's involved in it at all like i think that we can voice that there with the with the this is enough if we want to take it to that level but i don't sense that there's any part of jill or tommy or any of them in this epiphany that it is very much about his relationship with nora and what that represents for his way of like lensing relationships with with specifically with women but just in general i just don't think jill and tommy really come into it well i would counter that with Sure, sure. Jill and Tommy aren't part of this episode at all. Uh, but what's the final thing we see in this episode? We see Kevin going up to the rooftop and essentially consoling his lost father. You know, right. he's he's being with his family. He's being with his his blood family. He's being with his biological family. He is being there for his dad, uh, and he's being there in an emotional way. Where Kevin Senior is basically like, I don't know if we can come down. Like, I don't know if I can come down right now. 
What do we do now? And Junior is just being there for him. So if he leaves this realm and, you know, his his closing thought in this realm is we effed up with Nora and that's the epiphany. Um, and then he nukes this place and he comes back and he's not just like going sprinting to figure out where Nora is and can I fix this? His first action is to go to be with his sick dad. His first yeah. thing that he does is to go and be with his family who isn't Nora. So I think that it's a wider thing. I think Nora is the is the heart of it, but I think to like close that off to he doesn't give a shit about his family I think would be incorrect. No, no, but I sensed that that was the flip side to the earlier moment that they'd had in the episode, especially when Kevin Sr is literally like dunking him into the tub and I almost started crying at that scene because of the tenderness between the two of them when they put him under the first time on the teeter-totter you talk about eye acting the eye acting on Scott Glenn there is off the charts because he is casting glances so goddamn good that guy yeah that say like oh my god I'm not sure about this I'm about to kill my son but he lets it happen but he conveys that moment of uh, you know whatever you want to call it that like my god my god why have you forsaken me or that moment of unsurety in the mission that he felt was his mission like he conveys that so wonderfully with a glance and then we get take two on that where Kevin is saying put me in the tub you do this and it's just so wonderful where he says I love you I love you too you're gonna have to hold me dad like I took that because what what I felt like in that moment and why I really welled up was because that felt to me like Kevin felt very much like a child. It felt like Kevin Jr. with young Patty at the bottom of the well, him easing her into the water, him telling her it'll be okay, him playing the role of this person who's doing that. He's asking Sr. to do the same thing for him when he needs to be lowered into the water, and then the way to close that loop is at the end of the episode, he's being that figure for what is a very childlike Sr., the kind of thing where a child would climb up onto the roof and say, I don't want to come down, because if I come down, I have to deal with what's down there and it's changed the way I look at the world most adults don't have those moments but children have them all the time where something happens where you think it's the most important thing that's ever happened but you're a kid you have no perspective and I felt like that was really just a very good cyclical kind of uh, flip side if you will just the other half of that the yin and the yang where He's performing that role for his dad. So I definitely agree that I'm not going to say myopically Kevin doesn't care about his family, but I will say I'm not going to go ahead and glom Jill and Tommy onto that because if anything, this season has really underserved Kevin Garvey as a dad and Kevin Garvey's role in that. He's really pursued himself and left that behind. The only reason I bring that up is because Kevin for Tommy was such a key thing in season one. The, the role that Kevin played in Tommy's life. And we saw it again in season two. Uh, we've just seen that throughout where Kevin has been this guy for Tommy. He's been the, the surrogate father, the guy who was really young when he took him on, but the guy that was the polar opposite of his real dad. We've seen Kevin even recognize, rescuing Tommy from his real dad in a very literal way. And I just we just have short shrifted that a little bit when we took Kevin and made him run off to Australia. Lori comments on it like, what are you doing over there? So I just hope that this finale has room not only for Kevin and Nora, but for Kevin and, and, and Tommy and Jill to an extent, even if it's only a phone call, even if it's uh, if something like we we get to them at a later point 
I just feel like we, I hope we haven't closed the loop on that. Well, I think a couple of things. One, production realities. You know, there's of only course, eight, ep- of course, of eight course. episodes this final season, right? So there's only so much story you can service. There's only so many characters you can service. Uh, so there's that. There's, yes, you know, that, those I are re- acknowledge that fully. Uh, sure. You know, those are reasons why Jill and Tommy are not being included as much as they could be potentially. Um, but the other thing, too, is that Kevin has been an asshole. You know, Kevin has been, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's a, he's a, a self-righteous guy in a lot of ways. He's also, you know, potentially been very sick. You know, he has potentially been in a, in a really bad way over these past few episodes. Somebody who doesn't really care so much about other people other than himself. Right, as right. evidenced potentially in that scene with Nora. So, sure, do you leave this world and do you leave, you know, behind like the nuking of this world and automatically have to say his priorities are going to be straightened out moving forward? No, sure. And there's every reason to believe that, you know, based on how he had been acting this season, that that's just not going to be the way that it's going to be. But I think that there is there is room in the interpretation that this is a guy who's going to come back with his priorities straight. Like the guy who put himself on the teeter-totter and went into the lake without any supervision, I don't think that's the guy who exists at the end of this episode. He yes. literally kills a piece of right, himself. No, you're right. You're right 100%. Episode. Yeah, I agree. But I think that knowing that, like knowing that's the guy going forward, we've got one more episode. I think it's going to contain Kevin Garvey. I don't think it's going to contain Kevin Garvey as a punchline or as like a reveal where he's only in like one scene. Maybe that's the case, but I feel like there great. is... I'm, what I'm saying is I'm down for that at this point. I know you are, and I'm saying that I'm not. And that's yeah. the thing. is I don't, I don't read that interpretation as broadly. I understand what you're saying about production realities. I think what you're saying is that they make a choice not to include that. And I'm saying... I don't like that choice as much. That you can say that the door is open for Kevin to be the kind of that guy that stuff that matters a lot people. more to you than it does to me. I think that's been clear over some, you know, a few it of has. these podcasts that like you, you're really a lot more tied to the Tommy and Jill of it all than I am. For it's sure, it's just it's just because I think it's because I, I just rewatched it and it's just yeah. such a thing in season one, especially. But it, it's fascinating to me that the Kevin Garvey who who doesn't want another child with Lori, who doesn't who does want one with Nora. And who that's the guy, I think, ultimately, who when he gets into a car accident with Lori and she's got a kid and the kid's got a bad dad situation and he's young, he not only fully embraces it, he's a good dad to Tommy in that moment and throughout so that when Tommy has to ditch a baby somewhere, he leaves it with Kevin knowing it's going to be okay. And what I'm saying is their mom just killed themselves. He almost just killed himself. If he really has truly had an epiphany about not being so hung up on his own bullshit, I think that fundamentally should include at least one scene with the two of them or one of them so that we're closing the loop in a way that I feel good about. But you feel good about it. I don't know. I think everybody's mileage may vary on this. That's just a part where I'm like, okay, Kevin, if you're really stopped, if you're really lost, if the sickness is gone, then you need to go back to who you were in terms of being a, a decent parent. I think there are ways to close that loop and to address those concerns without having to have those characters on screen. You know, I yeah, think- and I think you're right. I just don't think they've done it yet. They haven't done it yet, for sure. And we'll see if they do it in the finale. They might not have they time. Might not. They may not. They may not. As they might said. not have time, and they might, you know, the show might be more interested in some of the relationships that are more compelling. Like, you cannot tell me with a straight face that the Tommy and Kevin dynamic is the most com- compelling dynamic on this show, and certainly the most compelling lingering thread that's left here. No, I'm not. But, you know, Kevin and BBA wasn't either. So they found a way to tie a joke yeah, in. Yeah, but wasn't it so win. cool when he parachuted in? It and was fantastic. It was fantastic <laughs> when he showed up again in the season. I just, right, right. my problem with, with the whole discussion of Jill and the, being their last scene or whatever earlier in the season is still not cleared in sure. that I just feel like that is a loop that hasn't been closed. And we, so well, much see, of Kevin Garvey. So I'm sorry, go ahead. 
No, no, no. Let's just see if it happens. So much of Kevin Garvey's in season one is him trying to maintain this semblance of a family life with Jill. But I think we Lori agree that the show away. got so much better after season one. The so show like, got better after season I don't, one. I don't, I don't hold this show to season one anymore. I don't I, either. But yeah. in season two, it's, it's him, Nora, and Jill, and everything that's going on with Jill and, and Nora being a surrogate father, or surrogate mother, and Kevin running away, and, and the, the, the family the next door. Mother. <laughs> the family next door. No, it's not that kind of surrogate. Uh, the family next door. Or losing their daughter and her yeah. disappearing and everything that is that is relevant with that and Jill being a little adrift. I, I appreciate that Jill and Tommy seem to be at peace to a certain extent, but I just feel like Kevin Garvey, especially in light of the fact that their mom killed themselves, if he finds that out and we don't, we know that he... I mean, it's just so weird with the time jump because we have no idea what we're going to get in this final episode. Here's we could get thing, literally anything. Yeah. Here's the thing, too, about that, though, is, like, how... This is a balancing act, dude. Like, how do you how do you make it a satisfying ending for Kevin and Tommy and Jill and also leave the Lori stuff open-ended? You know, like, I think you probably have to drop a shoe on the Lori thing. And I love that the Lori thing is a little bit up to interpretation. Like, I don't think it's up to a lot of interpretation, but the fact that they didn't show her in this universe at all maybe gives you a little bit of hope, which is why I think I'm inclined to have a final episode of The Leftovers that is vastly about uh, Nora and is more about her because she has not figured this out yet. She is not there. She's not there in the way that Kevin is at the end of this episode, I feel like. So I'm, I'm good if Kevin just kind of comes in for a scene or a few in the end of this final you know, episode of this show that is much more focused on Nora because I think it leaves a lot of really interesting threads still in play without full resolution. And I think that we can agree that for the most part, that's where this show is at its best. That's when the Garveys are at their best is when we don't have a definitive answer for something where like you can really read it a few different ways. And I, I do wonder, like, can you do that while also having resolution for Tommy and Jill? I'm not sure. There's a lot of spinning plates, man. Like, there's so much that um, that you could want to have satisfied, that you could argue should be satisfied. I hear exactly what you're saying. It's not as much of a priority for me, but I understand why it's a big priority for you and for anybody else who feels that same way. It's tricky, man. We're going in for a final episode of this incredible show, and there's a lot of masters to serve. I don't know, you know, how do you walk away from this whole thing super satisfied, and yet... Like, The Leftovers always tops itself in that way, it seems like. And, you know, it, we started saying this in season two that, like, every episode feels better than the last. And I don't know. I mean, to say that that momentum has continued is probably not true. But there is still that sort of feeling that, like, every week just something great is happening. I know some yeah. people are unsatisfied with season three, but you and I have been pretty Are happy there really that. people? What does Whatever. I'm just, I guess I've sidelined I know. I, it, it, like <laughs> feedback chamber, feedback Click, loop. click, click. Anybody who says that, yeah, click, click. Anyone who says that is fake news. Everyone knows that. Uh, Alternative Sources facts. say that, uh, that that is fake anyway, news. Anyway, let's put a pin in this. Let's talk about this on the feedback show. I would love to yeah. get people's takes on all of this. Uh, I don't yeah. think that this conversation is done by any stretch of the imagination. No, it's I, not. I don't know what, how much further we can advance the ball right now. No, we can't. I mean, the, 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 we're, we're in a situation where season one ends with the family on the porch. Season two ends with Kevin singing karaoke and not just thinking about Nora, but thinking about his whole family right. and going back to that crazy house where they all are. Season three cannot fundamentally, where we are with the chess pieces on the board and knowing we have a flash forward, cannot end in that same of a fashion. But if you're talking about a Kevin Garvey who had that happen at the end of season one and season two, 
and Nora was a part of both of those things. And we bring Kevin and Nora back together and don't put the kids in it. It just feels like it's not in keeping with where The Leftovers has been. And so that that we have to put a pin in it for now. I'm curious because you're right. It is it is plates spinning. There are a lot of things going on. And I'm not saying I need it. I'm just saying feels incomplete in terms of that story. So I'm curious to see if they're going to address that or how they are, because I really, really fundamentally like loved the stuff between senior and junior in this episode, even though they were fleeting moments, even though it was probably only about four minutes of screen time total, I absolutely love what they were able to do with those scenes. And that's always been a more important relationship than Kevin and his kids. I don't question that. Uh, But I just love that so much that I feel like they'd be able to get some mileage out of something. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I guess we'll have to uh, get some biometric approval to uh, (laughs) find our way into that finale. I don't know how we're going to do that. What else, Josh? What did we not hit that you want to hit before we wrap up here? Nothing that I want to hit before we wrap up here. I mean, uh, I guess maybe is this... Was this better than International Assassin, or is it, or is International Assassin the better episode than this one? I think you got to say International Assassin just because it was so shocking. Yeah, and it's I I think it's too soon. I I think that the the moments with Kevin and Patty in the well at the end are, yeah, are just so a so stupid good. Question: International Assassin's the better episode, but this was great. It's really great, and I, I guess what I would say is, if you're going to follow up International Assassin, I wasn't let down. <laughs> yeah, totally. I wasn't let yes. down. Yeah. I wasn't let down, and I didn't feel like they. We didn't have the prophecy of Rob Sesternino at least yet. I guess we could get it next episode. No, this place has been bombed. We're done, and it's great, and I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess a couple more things, real quick, that I want to hit before we wrap up. Uh, uh, my question is, there was a thing in International Assassin, we're talking about the two episodes, I watched it again before tonight, before this episode, there is the moment where Kevin is outside and there's a woman who's got a heart in a cooler, and she's saying, this heart is very important, I need this heart, is that tied into the double, the Kevin Garvey double heart uh, that we have with the nuclear key in it, do you think that the heart is the same heart? I think it could be the kind of retroactive thing. Yeah, of, well, know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, that's not something that's necessarily on the mind of the show at the time. You know, Lindelof is fucking famous for that. <laughs> pardon my French. Pardon my French lady. Uh, you know, he's really he's really famous for that. He's very famous for throwing something on there, maybe never explaining it, or at least like clarifying it later after he's thrown out an unusual idea. I would be more inclined to think it's that than it's like some master plan that he knew that there was a heart inside of there. So then how do you feel? I agree with that because you're talking about multiple seasons and they didn't even know they were going to, they were going to get a a third season. So I'm, I don't think that they had this whole plan set up for later. But what about the Fisher Protocol itself, where a person literally has to kill one person in order to kill millions of people? Is it like the baby question, where you save one person to save, or you you spare one person, or you kill one person to spare millions of people? Like, did you find any connective tissue there? Well, maybe he is, uh, you know, providing all of the people in this false universe with the uh, the warm, loving light that they need to be bathed in in order to move on. You know, I, 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 I you can't I, let that light out. You have to keep that light corked. That's the um, light that controls the power of the right. whole world. The I'm universe. not trying to be facetious. Like I, I really do think that there is a. It's odd to say, but there's like a positive connotation to bombing this world and to nuking this place. You know, like it certainly feels that way. If if it's selfishly for Kevin, 
Um, but I, but I but I think that it is meant to 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 read as like a very positive thing that this place is gone. Um, and I think part of that is because you're never really sure if this is a place that just exists in Kevin's mind or if this is a real realm. But if it, if, if it even is a real realm, it's populated by, you know, shadow versions of people from former lives who don't understand at all what's going on. That's not yeah. a place that you want to live in, really. I don't I, think. I just love that. It, you, because it, who knows what's populating it? And I'm sure you could write at some point like a psychological thesis about how Patty is Kevin's id or this person nervous represents that, that. Or Yeah, exactly. Makes me nervous. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, think it's, I think it's great. I love the line where they were like, unless you have an identical twin brother, which would be ridiculous. Be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that was excellent. It was tremendous. Yeah, and so I just it's a very I funny do... episode, dude. It's just so funny. Yeah, there were so many of those little moments throughout where I was like, okay, this is really great. And there is just it's a great joke. It's aware of itself. It's aware of its history. Kevin is aware of himself. He's aware of his history. He's getting flashes of Nora throughout, even though he doesn't. It doesn't come clear until he literally reaches into his own heart and does all that. Uh, he has these moments where, it, like they say, like, why is he doing? Why are you even doing this? And he sees a flash of Nora in the bathtub herself. There is the scene with Kevin and Nora in the bathtub. Kevin later gets into the bathtub himself. They put Kevin out under a white sheet like the other Kevin. Like, I, It's just there are so many of those great, great moments. Uh, and the Guilty Remnant is their political platform. I guess the final question I'd ask you, and I, I don't want to ruin the feedback show and people emptying this sort of thing out, but Evie is basically saying a reverse of something that happened. She is in the reverse of the world where her parents and everyone was nuked. We know this world has had a departure. Did 98% of the people in that you know, in the, the, the hotel world, did 98% of the people disappear? And is that why the guilty remnant can get elected president of the United States? Oh, it's fun. I like that. I like that. It's, it's kind of a mirror universe, right? You know, so right. Yeah. So it's a, yeah, there's a reverse there. We don't want to look like into it. the mirror. I like it. Guess what? We will never know. Because it's nuked. It's blown up. It's nuked. It's blown up. This show does not like to answer stuff. Uh, they will never address that. But I like it. Like, if you want to chew on that theory for all of time, you certainly can. But this is, like, the lesson that I learned from Lost Man. I'm done asking that kind of stuff. Like, we will never get clarity on it. It's fun to mull over and to chew on. Uh, but that's as, that's as far as I'm willing to go with something like that. But yeah, it would be fun. It's a cool idea of a, of a world where 98% of the people are gone. And you're stuck with, uh, you know, that would explain, Antonio, why... Uh, why uh, the U.S. president would have Australian Secret Service. Yeah, this that is, would you know, just... This ex- is the guy who's left. That's it. <laughs> that would explain why the guilty remnant themselves are able to come to such power. I just right. think that that's, uh, that's entirely possible. So... I uh, I like that. I really like that uh, that we had a great tweet from Alex Coons, uh, and Alex basically said that his read on it was ultimately that that nuclear bomb, that weapon, was them blowing up the mythology of the show, and that, yeah. or anything that was bigger than the characters themselves. And Lost needed that, and I think that there's a lot of uh, power in that, a lot of power in that thought and that metaphor. So that's what I really appreciate about it more than anything. Is you're, you're right, we've blown that world up. We're not going to get into those things. We now have to answer on a character level. And we're going to we're going to wrap the show in that way. The most liberating thing about this show for me, and it's been this way for a very long time, is that, you know, that stuff was bombed a long time ago for me. You know, that stuff, you know, 
just just to soak in the moments and the and the emotion and the beat for beat stuff and the and the character interactions and where are these journeys taking them on a personal level that's been what i've been you know interested in for a long time i feel like with this show uh and i think that the that that you know in the the meta narrative and you know in interviews and press uh, you know, in the theme song of season two, Let the Mystery Be, has been front of mind for this show for so long. We're never going to tell you what the departure was and, and, and things like that. Watch next week, by the way, to just tell us what the departure was. Uh, <laughs> That's what I've, I've always wondered all along is yeah. they've said all along that it's, they're not going to explain it. Are they going to leave the door open? Let us. Are yeah. they going to give us any more information? Right now we're sitting on, well, it seemed like the people who disappeared were all being, like, uh, were all being resented by someone in right. the immediate sphere. So that's all we really have. Is that all we're ever going to get? Who knows? But, but I really, for, really did. For like some that. people, the mythology needed to be blown up in this episode. Maybe there were still people who were following along, being like, "Well, when are they going to answer this? When are they going to answer this?" And I can't imagine that that metaphor was heavy enough to like knock people on the heads who were still feeling that way and really get it. But this is not going to be a show that's you know necessarily mythologically satisfying. I think it's going to be a show that's emotionally satisfying and uh, satisfying on the character level. And if you're tracking the stories of the characters rather than the stories of the universe, I fully expect that it's going to be very satisfying. But who knows? You know, uh, this this final episode could air, and you know, we could be talking about a bullshit ending. Uh, I don't think so. I really, 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 really don't. And I'm knocking on my desk right now. I'm knocking on wood that that's not going to be the case but i've got confidence this was a great episode it made me really happy i feel so good about everything that's going on on the leftovers right now and i'm feeling uh the the the, the pump is primed antonio Ooh, that's uh, a really nice phrase you just made up yeah i just made it up i'm very i'm very primed for the happiest ending i'm gonna be really let down if that's not where we're going but i i do feel <laughs> i'm sorry yeah, no i was yeah, gonna yeah, say yeah. i'm gonna go prime the pump so i can get into my secret bunker yes 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 <laughs> Yeah. You can edit that yeah, out, yeah, Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, you guys all go into your secret bunkers and get to work on your feedback. As we said at the top of the hour, uh, at the start of this podcast, it's going to be coming your way pretty quickly. Uh, we're going to be recording on Tuesday morning. Is going to be the only chance that Antonio and I get to record this week. So feedback show coming your way swiftly. Get your feedback in postshowrecaps.com slash feedback, or our email address is leftovers at postshowrecaps.com. Com. Get that all into us by like Monday night, ideally. I know that that's a swift turnaround, but that's really what we're looking at. Uh, can't wait to hear what you guys thought about this episode. Yeah, what I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear thoughts about the theme song. We got the season one uh, theme music, and we didn't get uh, the, the kind of statement. So I'd love to hear people's ruminations on what that meant to have the season one theme music back. And does that mean, as Colin Stone has predicted to me, that we're going to get the season two theme music back for the finale? I would love that. That would be great. That would be really, really fun. Um, man, only a couple more podcasts about this show to go, like let alone episodes in the series, Antonio. One episode left and just a handful of podcasts before we close uh, close shop. Yeah, you say that, but you've now promised Throners, so who knows where this could go. And <laughs> I don't then think the we're left- going to really do The Leftovers Lives will be back in a couple no, years, No, no, let me walk that back. The Throners <laughs> is not going to exist, except as a hashtag. We could use that as our, uh, our sign-off here, hashtag The Throners. Yeah, that's much better than what I had written down. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Well, it doesn't matter. Antonio, good stuff. God only knows what I would do without you, Antonio. Oh, yeah. I didn't. God only knows what I would do without you, Josh. I've we got didn't big even... love for you, Antonio. 
I, and my love for you is Bioshock Infinite. We didn't get into that connection, and if anybody wants to talk about that on a feedback show, hit us up. There, are, there was some, some Bioshock Infinite, which is a video game vibes oh in this gosh. episode for sure, which uses not only the song but the Kevin unique story Bioshock itself. metrics. Unique Bioshock metrics, yes. All right. All right. Well, let's save that for the feedback show. I, I'm curious to get your take on that. I have no idea where you're going with that. So that seems like a, a good hook for all you Bioshock fans. That's a reason to tune into the feedback show this week. <laughs> yes, all, all 12 of you who are in, in this Venn diagram overlap, yeah. Yeah, who knows, who knows. All right, Antonio, anything else before we sign out? No, man. Uh, just so glad to be able to talk about this episode and the show with you, Josh. And thanks right. to Alex Kidwell, as always, for the edits and the post-production and getting these things up as soon as possible. Agreed. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, everybody who listens to this show and sends in your feedback and keeps this thing alive. It's been a hell of a journey. We are so close to the end of the line here. Antonio and I have been podcasting about this show from the very, very start. So it's very surreal that it's about to come to a close forever. So it'll be fun. It'll be really fun. It'll be sad. It'll be, I think, a bittersweet uh, result as well, just in terms of uh, putting this thing to bed. But we're close. We're getting getting close, but not quite done yet. Not quite done yet. We have miles to go before we sleep. Miles to go. All right. Take care, everybody. We will see you during our feedback show coming up in just a few days. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.